0: Good afternoon and welcome to TMD's On The Record. I'm your host, Dave Kleish, joined by my colleagues,
1: Jeff Timmons
2: and Mike Grant.
0: TMD's On The Record. Uh, this is where we talk about the relationship between brands and customers. Uh, first off, I just want to say a little bit sorry that we've taken so long to come back to you with another episode. So we've been dealing with some some COVID delays and access to our studio. Um, we're still recording remotely today um, but it has put a bit of a, of a dent in our time schedule so what we wanted to do because we're still queuing up our next speaker who is going to be awesome by the way we're really excited to bring uh, that conversation to you but what we wanted to do is follow up the last episode and the conversation the two-parter that we have with Anya Clock um, we had some really good feedback from our network um, following that episode and we actually just thought it would be great to come back together and have a conversation about it because they really put forward something that was really really interesting so let me summarize it for you um, and then you know we would like to have a bit of an open conversation and hopefully it triggers um, some more feedback from anyone who might be listening
1: and and I think some of that fact that it's really great feedback is the fact that we got feedback there's someone actually listened to you guys talk when I say I you guys kind of I think I you. was part of that too. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah, that was, you were partly responsible. Just oh, right. a, a sliver. But yeah, you were partly responsible for the feedback. But the feedback was really good. And the comment was basically this. So after we had the conversation um, with Anya, we talked a lot about the dynamic behind raising um, funds. So behind fundraising, we talked about the, the difference between philanthropy and fundraising. We talked about what that means to an organization as far as right people doing the right thing at the right time, having the right skill sets, and just the environment that fundraisers um, have to work within in order for them to be effective uh, on behalf of their mission or their cause. So the feedback was basically recognizing like, yeah, good conversation. However, interesting dynamic in the fundraising space. Um, and they referenced sort of the caramel secret, right? So how, everyone knows the story. Well, people our age know the story. How do you get the caramel inside the caramel bar? Really, really interesting metaphor. And, and basically, what they were talking about was fundraisers know um, that it costs money to raise money, fundraisers know that they have to invest in the organization, um, in the not for profit, they have to make investments. On behalf of the mission and the cause, so that they can continue to engage properly so they can continue to grow their um, their ability to influence donors and so that they can continue to connect in meaningful ways that advances the mission and advances the 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 cause. What they talked about though was not always are donors either aware of or willing to accept the fact that their donations some of the some of that money or some of that donation actually needs to go to paying for some of those efforts to go out and raise money whether they're organizational whether they're headcount related whether they're actually marketing related so being able to access the research and the resources to take a brand's mission or take a mission's message to market in a way that's meaningful and and engages donors and encourages them to give more so basically some of those donation dollars have to be used to actually fund the ability to go out and and engage with more donors and hopefully be able to bring more money into the organization. And it was just a really interesting comment. And we wanted to talk about it a little bit more because maybe that's something we didn't talk about enough in the first episode. So I just want to kind of throw it out there and, you know, maybe Mike invite you to like Mike or Jeff, like, what do we think about this? Like, how do we feel about that comment? And and let's explore it a little bit.
1: Well, I think the, the reality is, you know, um, we all know that marketing is not free. Customer acquisition isn't free. Um, donor acquisition isn't free. And, um, you know, I think there's really kind of two sides to this is like, how do you go tell the donor that, you have to pay to go raise money. And yeah, we have to spend some of the money we raise absolutely needs to be spent that way. And, you know, sometimes I I feel, and I'll use some of my personal experience, like you look at um, how do nonprofits tell people about where they spend their money. They usually do it in an annual report buried in the back page. It's like they're trying to hide it. And, you know, um, I just feel like maybe... I don't know, should, should they go out and challenge their donors who feel that way and say, I'm sorry, but we need to raise this money and we need to spend money to raise money and we're not going to shy away from the fact that, you know, we're running an operation here and it costs money. Mm-hmm. Like, just be honest with them. I don't, know, yeah. I don't know what you guys think of that.
2: You know, it, it's interesting because marketing is always something that is hard to justify, even to folks that are in the know but if you're trying to justify it to the average joe most folks see marketing advertising all of that type of thing as kind of superfluous kind of unnecessary they kind of get it but they kind of don't and it's a little bit tough i think to you know to convince a donor that it's required and i i think what we may need to do is the same type of tactics if you want to call it a tactic. But the way that we justify marketing spend is by having measurables and by having results and by having goals and being able to show that for every dollar you've spent on marketing, it's returned this much from your investment. So maybe it is about being really clear about where those marketing dollars are going and the return on investment that they're getting. So it it makes it justify the spend a little bit more.
0: Totally agree with that. And I think part of the challenge um, from from you know from our experience dealing with those that are that are in that not-for-profit space is quite often, the standard that they're held to that actually determines, you know how effective they are um, is based on what percentage of every dollar raised actually goes to the cause or the, or, or the, the, the reason behind, you know, what they're raising money for. So they're actually, they're actually given a higher ranking or higher rating based on their ability to spend less on anything else other than the final destination for that dollar. Um, And it's like, it, it can be really restrictive at times. Like we know, we know that um, just from, you know, working with, with partners in this space that, you know, there's there's restricted funds, meaning, you know, they are given with the intent of being allocated or designated to a very specific thing. Right. So the donor would say, I'm going to give you know, I want to I want to give this much money, but I want you to spend it over here or I want it to go towards this specific um, this specific thing. Um, which would make it very difficult for them to maybe fund other areas, you know, within their, their broader mission that also require funding. But, you know, that might not be as appealing to a donor. Um, and then nowhere in there, you know, is there, I think, um, the allowance or even maybe a little bit of latitude for the mission or the the organization to actually, you know, I think Jeff and Jeff said it, but like, spend money to make money, like what are they doing to actually put their, their worthy mission or their worthy cause in front of more people that actually might want to engage with it for whatever their personal reasons are, but, you know, people that might actually have an affinity for that mission so that they can actually fulfill on a personal desire to say, you know what, it's really important to me, I want to support this because I have great reason to, but they maybe haven't had an opportunity to learn about what that, that organization is trying to do. And it really does, I think, hamstring them or limit their ability to to go out and maybe raise the funds required to really make a dent in you know either what they're trying to cure, resolve, fund, um, deliver, deploy. It's it really probably you know it, I can imagine it being really frustrating.
1: Mm-hmm. Let let me ask you guys something. You know we. I say we but I think the world in general treats nonprofits very different than for-profits and they talk about having donors versus customers and like do you think maybe part of the challenge we have is that maybe we should treat more nonprofits like for-profit businesses and 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 what I mean by that is like if if I want to if I have a company and I want to install a new or implement a new line of business, and I want to put a new product in place, I'm going to go raise capital for that and invest in it. I'm going to find the right people to run it. Um, and there's an upfront cost usually for that to be able to go and build it. But if you try to take that approach in a nonprofit, it would never pass that ratio, right? You'd be spending before you generate money. And you know it's that is frankly kind of counterintuitive to how – business operates. You know, if you tried to do it that way on, the, uh, on a for-profit business to try and sell a product, um, it would never work. You know, and I, I wonder if that isn't something that, um, that we should try to do more of, or is at least allow them to, to operate that way more.
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, in a typical consumer brand relationship, ultimately the end consumer doesn't really care what the company's doing with their money the value transaction is about i'll give you the money you give me the product or you give me the service whereas with a nonprofit, it's i'll give you the money and then the the transactional piece is manage that money to impact the you know the the, the mission and, and get more out of the mission so you, you don't there seems to be more of that personal investment that they want to know that money is managed correctly and that it's not given to to marketing companies, I guess. You know, I mean, the fact is, pe- marketing is the first thing to always get cut, right? People, even though we know you have to spend money to make money, even really, really knowledgeable business owners, the first thing they cut when they need to make cuts is, is marketing. So, I mean, how do we change the entire worldview of the value of marketing?
0: Wow. Well, I don't know if we're going to have time this afternoon to sort that out. But that's a but that's a great question. (laughs) Two minutes,
2: Dave. How do we do that? Okay,
0: and go. But no, I think you raise a really good point, though. And you know, there's there the threshold for that level of comfort is going to be different. You know, and I think that's going to be the case. You know, we hear about startups that you know um, infuse their ability to grow their business with investment capital, um, and you know they make all kinds of deals with the devil to be able to to grab that funding um, and be able to you know build their business and actually build everything that they need to be to be competitive and everything else. And we hear stories of businesses like not turning a profit for years. So for years they lose money because they're investing in their ability to be sustainable. They're investing in their ability to either develop product, develop the platform, like develop everything that's actually going to make their business successful. Not for profits don't have that opportunity ever. Like not even no, not even not even a a for-profit organization that, you know, like we've we've been through this as a company where we have, you know, certain periods in our in our um in our operations where it's an investment year because we actually need to invest back into the organization. And, you know, we make a conscious decision to like, okay, we're going to have less profit that year because we're actually going to pour that back into the organization. For-profit organizations do that all the time. How does a not-for-profit actually invest in itself where they realize, you know what, our technology isn't where it needs to be, right? I mean, Mike, you've worked with some partners about, embracing the uh, the value of a crm and being able to use that so that they could manage their communications more effectively and everything else and but that's an investment that they have to make how do how do not-for-profits make investments in their organization which might come at the cost of donor dollars in order to be able to fund that
2: and uh, you know yes absolutely about the investment piece but even just the you know the opinion of using a crm in a nonprofit. Uh, I've had a lot of folks who just they feel icky about it. The idea of using sales tools to try to drive the mission forward for a lot of purists in nonprofits feel like somehow they're selling out or that they're getting too salesy or that they're not grassroots or pure enough or, or those types of things. And I don't mean that to be um, condescending in any way, but it's difficult when you're trying to convince an an industry that is um, you know, philanthropic to kind of embrace sales techniques to drive their mission forward. that That's a tough sell. And we're seeing that turnaround. I mean, we talked about this in the last episode. We're seeing that turnaround, but there's still folks who are like, oh, this feels feels a little too salesy,
1: yeah, it kind of goes back to that idea of like, do we need to treat our donors more like customers? Like it you know it's still, you know it's a it's disposable income. Either way, any way you look at it, you could spend that money somewhere else and you choose to spend it on, you know, a donation to a cause that is going to give you a return of some sort, Um, you know, and I I wonder uh, a couple of questions. One, do we think that um, that the nonprofits can afford to measure things? It's going back to something you said a little while ago, Mike, but can they afford to invest in? the measurement tools required to be able to understand or communicate where their dollars are going. And, and then just a, I'm going to call it more of a conspiracy theory or uh, it's our, our 10th voice principle is, you know, they can't, like Dave, you said, they can't afford to lose money or have an investment year as a nonprofit because we're asking them to solve the world's greatest problems and they have to continually invest. But is it, They can't do that because they have fear that their donors um, don't trust where they're putting their money, you know, or how they're using the money. And like, why do they bury it? Why can't they just come out and say, this is where I put the money and this is what I need to do um, to be able to go, you know, find a cure for like, you know, like if we could come out as example, if we could come out and say, here's where we're putting the money here's where we need to invest and the result is we're going to cure leukemia right. you know and uh yeah just a just a thought go ahead Dave you, know, you and I both inhaled at the same time both of us, <laughs> both yeah. of us wanted to jump just, in there just inhaled air though yeah, right? yeah. Just, yeah sure.
0: that's it that's it for today yeah no listen I think it's a really good point and um Honestly, I don't know what the answer is. And I think that's why the comment struck us as so relevant, because it truly is the Cadbury secret, Like, right? How do you get the caramel inside the, the caramel bar? Like, how do you how do you enable an organization? And Jeff, you're right. How do you enable an organization to solve? And listen, we, we are the ones that are asking them to do this, right? So we are the ones as a society or as a community that are setting the expectation. So if you're the Heart and Stroke Foundation, we kind of want you to, you know, come up with, you know, research and and fund cures and treatments that actually, you know, reduce the the impact of of, of heart and stroke conditions. Um, we've tasked them with some pretty significant missions, and yet we're like, yeah, but and I still come back to this, and I know I said this last time, and it might have sparked a little controversy, but like we're not actually giving them the ability trust the professionals that are that are in charge of of enabling that mission trust those professionals that are there to actually build a strategy and figure out how they're going to raise or how they're going to um, acquire enough donors so that they can actually fund their ability to be progressive so they can actually fund their ability to show progress against that goal so on the for-profit side we have goals every quarter right? And they're, they're based on revenue. They're based on margin. They're based on efficiency. They're based on acquisition and retention. Those are things that we live and breathe on a day-to-day basis. And on, the, on the, the not-for-profit side versus a revenue goal, and yes, they do have revenue goals, but their goals are even more altruistic. Their goal might be, Jeff, to your point, cure cancer. That's the ultimate goal and the ultimate mission behind that not-for-profit. How do we expect them to get there? Or how long are we willing to wait for them and how many people do we have to lose, right? And I guess the outcome of this is for most for-profits, if they miss their revenue targets, it just means they sold less stuff, right? They just sold less retail or less consumer-facing stuff. Yes, and some of that stuff is critical, but a lot of that stuff is not. If a particular organization doesn't raise enough money or takes too long to get there, In some cases, that means that people will continue to get sick, people will continue to suffer, and people will die. So how is it that we're not enabling those organizations to invest, put money into actually what they need, the tools, the resources, the efforts, the expertise to go out and get more people to give more money so that they can actually fund the mission better? I don't understand that.
2: And I think you just, whether you meant to or not, kind of pointed out the dichotomy there so on one hand you say if they don't meet their numbers people may die or or cures will take longer to find and then on the other hand we say well why don't we let people have an investment year well because an investment year means that people will die it means that it, it takes longer to get that solution so how do you justify if you're the ceo of you know abc npo that has this amazing cause to try to stamp out some awful condition how do you go to your board and say let's cut our funding in half so that we can get crm so that we can have a big marketing campaign with the ultimate long-term goal that we will have a bigger impact but how do we make a right. smaller impact next year and are you the ceo that's going to go and, and say that to your board
0: well 10 voice here like sometimes yeah like that's the hard conversation like does an investment year or does an investment maybe not a year but like being able to invest a certain or maybe a greater allocation of donor dollars does that actually if we do that smartly if they do that smartly does that actually speed up the time frame for them to ultimately fulfill their mission and yes it might mean in the short term, but this is, you know, it, it's always about strategy and, and sort of longer-term planning and the the ability to balance short-term objectives against longer-term goals. Does that actually speed up the timeline um, in the grander scheme of things? Like, does that actually get them closer to where it is that they want to go, right? It's like that mm-hmm. old saying, like, it's really hard to manage towards a long-term objective when you're managing a company quarter by quarter. Like, mm-hmm. how do you have long-term vision when you're knee jerking every 90 days to whatever the market's just thrown at you mm. um anyway i just i don't think there's a simple answer And the three of us are certainly not going to come <laughs> up with
1: it today what? but well, what? you know you know what's really interesting is this is um not only is this a um a topic we all get very passionate about but it's it's pretty topical right now because let's think about this for a second what's going on in the world today you know um with a global pandemic. Um, typically to develop a new vaccine takes years, right, to develop. When the world decided, you know what, we got a big problem, let's pool all these resources together, they created a vaccine pretty quick. And you imagine what we could do if we could find a way to bring together the, you know, or or put some of the responsibility on, on the global corporate Market to say, you know what, I'm going to cure pediatric cancer, or I'm going to cure mm-hmm. leukemia, or I'm going to, you know, and how fast we could probably do it.
2: Well, yeah, another good example of folks mobilizing. Um, I, I know you're not a huge uh, en- English football fan, English uh, soccer fan, but you know, recently six of the top clubs in in England were going to break away and and create this super league fans all across England and North America and and globally mobilized got loud were marching literally marching in the streets in front of their their stadiums yeah imagine if people were that passionate about some of the other issues in the world and how much change we could make and and in the course of 2 days they managed to scuttle this new new super league and and all the english clubs pulled out because of the pressure on fans well imagine if those fans put the same kind of pressure on on billion dollar companies to double triple quadruple their philanthropy efforts. What kind of impact that would have?
0: Well, and I think you you've raised something really really important, Mike, which like at the end of the day, we can't it's unacceptable for us just to expect not-for-profits to be funded by you know, major gift donors, and, you know, of which there are, there are some philanthropists, you know, um, those with means that do give uh, significantly. Uh, but it, it's some of it's a drop in the bucket compared to what's required to actually move things forward. And I think you've touched on something where, you know, not for profits are always grateful for corporate sponsorship. So they're always grateful for corporate engagement that helps them advance whether it's sponsoring an event or 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 an aspect of, of of whatever their program is, but I do think like we are getting to that point where let's face it, these can you can you think of like a major a major disease or a major cause or mission where someone recently has stepped up and said, "Hey, great news! Uh, we've cured this. It's no longer a problem. Here's the vaccine or here's the t- treatment or whatever." Like, hey, we're done. Thanks very much, everybody. But I mean, ultimately, a not-for-profits, many of them, a not-for-profits end state is to not be required anymore because they've actually done what they had to do. I don't recall in recent memory any of those big, you know, Canadian Cancer Foundation and, you know, the Heart and Stroke Foundation. No one's actually stepped up and said, "Okay, we're good. Like, thank you, everybody. We've actually done what we needed to do. We're not required anymore at what point do you know as a society so you're right mike you know do people take to the streets and say you know what i am sick and tired one more person in my personal sphere friend loved one family member is sick with this or just got this they just went to their doctor and they just to- got told they've got this at what point does society say you know what enough mm-hmm. just like you mentioned with the super league enough and and start demanding that you know the for profit sector start to fund the not-for-profit sector because Mm -hmm. it's actually just good corporate citizenship and it's actually what those brands should be doing Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and not doing it because they want to you know quote sponsor something or support something so they can tell everybody that they're a good corporate citizen but do it because they want to be a part of what you know created a cure or conquered something exactly And, and uh you know i think um yeah. And you know, going back, Mike, about the the Super League thing, mm-hmm. my confusion really is is it soccer or is it football? Yeah. I'm just not it, sure. It
2: depends so. on who you're asking.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's a great example of that's a great example of people just saying, you know what? No we're not going to stand for that anymore. And it's sport, right? So listen, yes. sport, sport is, you know, it unites, it unites people globally and it, it, and I'm not belittling, um, what just happened. And just because it was, it was around a, a fictitious league or, or, or a sporting event or or people getting pissed off because, well, what do you mean my team's not going to be part of that league? Like it, I'm not belittling that at all because no. I actually think the outcome was really, really positive where, this was, you know, the voice of the of the of the um, voice of those communities. It was like a public voice that just said, no, that's not going to fly. You're going to need to make some changes. And I, I think in this space, you know, there needs to be more of that. Not some, you know, not not the you know what? That's somebody else's problem. Somebody's going to take care of that. I don't need to worry about that. Um, someone else is going to take care of that right up until the point where they don't. And right mm-hmm. up until the point where now it's personal because someone in your network is impacted by it in some way.
1: Can I can I take this back um, for a second to kind of where we came from, which was this comment from uh, that came to us around um, this challenge of telling our donors, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe there's some nonprofits listening, um, but I think the idea is like if anybody. Like how do we go and and the model's broken? How do we go and say, you know what? We're going to do it differently. Let's stand up and scream out to everybody. We're the nonprofit that has a plan. And our mm-hmm. plan is to deliver X. And to do that, we need to, to raise money. And this amount of the money is going to go towards marketing because when we do that, it amplifies the message so that we can go and reach more people. And I think one of the things that you know, and, and this might be a challenge to the nonprofits. I don't know if they'll all like to hear this, but I feel that a lot of nonprofits focus on those who only have an emotional connection to their mission. And mm. they don't take the time to tell the story to others that would develop an emotional connection. They don't have, they they maybe haven't been had that experience, but would be emotionally connected to the story that it tells. You know, the story of, you know. Um, you know, that will still resonate to them and make them want to give, maybe not as a philanthropist, but give just because they want to give to that mission. And, but to do that, you got to spend money to go reach those who are not emotionally engaged in the brand or the product. Um, And I think that's one of the big challenges that nonprofits have. Mm
2: -hmm. Could you be, this is just spitballing here, but Rather than a non-profit who is regulated in specific ways, could you be a for-profit business with a commitment to operate at 0% profit Uh with with an altruistic mission? Could you be a private company committed to stamping out cancer and just basically say we want to like, I mean, I don't even know how you do it, but <laughs> is, is that something that you know to try to color outside the lines to try to get around some of the you know the spending restrictions and the the percentages that seem to hamstring nonprofits?
0: That's really interesting. And as you're saying, and I'm wondering, like, does it need to be, do they need to agree to not turn a profit? I mean, what if because that profit, you know, for most organizations, that profit, well, winds up in the pockets of shareholders in many cases. But if that for profit and that that margin was actually invested back into their ability to raise money and fund it so that, you know, they're they're actually funding not for profits, reserving the right to make a little bit of money so they can continue to invest in that mechanism or that platform that they're using to advance those causes. I mean, profit's not a dirty word, right? I mean, and I think that's part of the stigma is that it's every for-profit business needs to make money; otherwise, they cease to be in business. So you can't operate—you can't operate at a—I like, got a flat margin, and you certainly can't operate at a loss. Um. So I, I like the thinking there. Like, you know, at what point does the not-for-profit industry invite maybe some very carefully constructed for-profits to? enter in that space and actually start to support that, that business model mm-hmm. and, and actually, you know, help fund or help increase the ability for those not-for-profits, regardless. It could be sector-specific. It could be whatever, right? But actually help the ability for those not-for-profits, those missions to fund whatever that cause is, mm-hmm. um, and they might need to make a profit in order to do that. Is that such a bad thing if they make money while doing the right thing? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think I do either.
2: Great. So we got two. That's two of
0: us. Two out of three dentists. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm
1: in. I'm in. Jeff's in. Yeah, no, it's just a given. So, again, if anybody's listening who wants to get involved in that and They're not. wants to bankroll us to get started on it, because I think that's part of the challenge. But, I listen, the concept is there. It's really what what needs to happen we need to allow these nonprofits to operate like a for-profit business yeah you know and 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 at the same time sorry Mike hold them accountable to it
2: yeah no 100% and I think we should probably you know uh, at least state you know we're speaking in very general broad terms about for-profits and there's a ton of for-profit companies who are so philanthropic that it would make your head spin. So we just need to be clear that we're painting with a pretty broad brush, but there's absolutely, you know, some amazing for-profit companies doing amazing things to drive missions forward. But Absolutely. Um,
0: and there are some amazing not-for-profit organizations that actually run some very forward-thinking uh, operations. And, you know, we've had the great pleasure to work with some of them. Um, and they're doing some fantastic work. They mm-hmm. really are, right? But I think I think, and we know of some of them that, you know, are frustrated by maybe the inability to to spend or to allocate funds where they feel it could actually really enhance their organization's ability to to do what it is that they need to do. Um, and Jeff, maybe you're right. Maybe it's more open and transparent communications with donors. and and I know that's not as easy as it sounds. And I know that you know, um, donor behavior, um, while similar, it's not quite the same as, you know, consumer behavior, again, at a very, very high level, right? Um, I know that the expectations there are a little bit different. We've, we've worked with not-for-profits that, you know, describe that as a, as a voluntary act of generosity where we talk instead of a purchase or an investment, we talk in terms of a gift, or or something like that. So like there there absolutely is, you know, some considerations there that that, that behavior is real. And but it, on the same in the same regard, you know, we we also talked about the competitive nature that exists in that environment. So individuals, families, households, however you want to allocate it, there's a lot of competition for their donor daughter. So wherever they decide to invest, whatever that you know, that that allocation of their household spend every year, there's a lot of competition for that. And sometimes it falls back on, you know, where there's an affinity um, to a particular cause because it has impacted them in a personal way or someone that they know. And that is absolutely a very valid reason for folks to have an affinity one way or the other. But let's face it, because Jeff, you talked about, you know, do we start thinking about donors more like customers? And I think there's an element there that, speaks to the reason why sales tools, Mike, like you talked about CRM, Mm -hmm. about thinking about not hesitating to ask for the sale because um, there's a lot of competition out there. And and the unfortunate thing is it's not like you're buying, you know, it's not like buying a car. You are actually talking about a really deep, meaningful, genuine appeal to something Mm -hmm. that actually matters. So you can Mm -hmm. talk about buying one brand of car over another one. And there's all kinds of reasons that will swing you one way or the other. Um, but I think when you're trying to figure out where you're going to put a certain amount of money every year into something that is, you know, um, philanthropic or that's a donation of some kind, um, that's a little trickier. Like it means mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, and I think that's a that's a hard dynamic to to wrestle down. I really do.
2: Well. You know, it's certainly a good topic, and if our listener <laughs> has any has any thoughts, they should certainly um, reach out to us at podcast at tmd.ca. Gent's, we've been speaking now for for about forty five minutes. Um, any kind of final thoughts, Jeff, Dave, on on this topic? And again, we'd certainly welcome any listeners to give us their thoughts.
1: Uh, yeah, my final thought on this really is. I think um, as industries, we need to challenge the norm. We need to do it differently and be open to doing it differently because otherwise it's a, it's a flat curve. And I, I think about how you, know, you talk about investing or how um, you know, wealth is created. It's not created by doing the same thing every year. It's about taking some risk and making an investment. And maybe you don't make any money in the first year, but all of a sudden that compounds and it grows. And to have an impact, we need to create impact on mass. And I I think that, you know, I I would challenge our nonprofit partners to think about how we create impact on mass. And maybe we need to look at those, that idea that Dave talked about of, you know, let's do an investment year. Let's put all the pieces together and then go out and have a bigger impact over time by in by having less impact in that one year or that one season
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: 100 and you know i think maybe my final thought is like i think we need to like take a hard look at the model i think we need to take a hard look at the not-for-profit model the fundraising model um you know it goes back to and we've all collectively talked about this we've asked like these not-for-profits to really solve some very difficult problems like actually frankly like problems that really matter, right? So problems that affect um, people's lives and and their livelihood and um, their mortality for that matter. Um, I think we really need to take a look at the model like are we actually putting them in the best possible position where they actually get access to the funds the resources the people the tools that they need to do the job well And I don't know that that happens without having the for-profit sector um, or for-profit playing a much more active role and like you know you said this earlier both of you like there are a lot of organizations doing some really great things Mm -hmm. Um, and we can't discount that there are a lot of organizations that have fully embraced their corporate responsibility and they're doing some dynamite work and they're Mm -hmm. you know they should be commended for that absolutely um, but I still think that is too much an exception versus the rule, and mm-hmm. I think that there needs to be much, much more, and not just you know every once in a while. I think it needs to be baked into. There's a corporate responsibility component where, I don't know, is there a percentage of revenue every year, or a percentage of profit that you know organizations should be investing back into the not-for-profit space to help advance um, you know those their abilities to to mm-hmm. contribute to their mission. Mm-hmm. And it's not an easy it's not an easy problem to solve but i think we actually need to start looking at a solution not just how do we raise money i think we need to figure out how we fix the model
2: yeah and i, I think you know just in closing more of this more discussion the yeah. the more discussion we have the more ideas we're going to get and the more ideas the you know the greater chance of affecting change awesome so i'd say gents you know thanks very much for the conversation today it's been fantastic and if there are any listeners out there thanks very much for for listening to what we have to say we always welcome feedback and thoughts so you can reach out to us at podcast at tmd.ca and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode